0: After 39 days with little food and water, the remaining contestants on the final episode of the reality show Survivor are about to find out who will win the $1 million. 27.3 million people have tuned in to hear the tribe speak for the last time. But the biggest surprise is yet to come, because this former pro soccer player has a plan to use all the money for humanity if he's voted the sole Survivor. I, I couldn't go back. You, your you just put it out there. She said you've got less a list of the year to she look at. even deeper. is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so I couldn't. That was the turning point. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast with Phil Kogan. Every week I talk to mavericks, disruptors, and innovators. People who ditch the excuses, swerve off the predictable road, and epitomize what it means to tick it before you kick it.
1: To make happiness real for others is truly the greatest gift.
0: I firmly believe it's a good strategy in life. Ethan Zahn is a former professional soccer player and winner of the hit reality television show Survivor Africa. He's also a real-life survivor, having beaten cancer twice. But Ethan's not just famous for being a reality show star. He's also a recipient of the Heroes Among Us Award, the Courage of Conscience Award, and was named by People magazine as one of the helpers of the year. And there's plenty of reasons why. I caught up with Ethan in New York. It's been seven years since we ran around the world together on The Amazing Race All-Stars, and since then he's achieved so much helping others. There's no sign that he's slowing down anytime soon. All right, we all good? Ethan's on, and we are in New York City. Boom. So we first met yep. on Amazing Race.
1: To be honest, yes. I met you way back in the day. You probably don't remember because you were, you know, up and coming host of a crazy new reality show called The Amazing Race. I was on Survivor and I met you at some after CBS party and you were the host of Amazing Race. I was on Survivor and we connected there. Did we Ta- talk? Did we, we, we talked about triathlons. Oh, we and did? A, yeah. This is like circa 2002, so I don't expect you to remember.
0: All right. Wow. Anyway, so you come on to Amazing Race. (laughs) Yep. You race around the world with your then-girlfriend. Yep. Uh, Kind of like couples therapy. I guess so. Right? By uh, intense couple therapy. Yeah. Intense. And how did that relationship go? (laughs) Uh,
1: That relationship ended up ending.
0: You're not blaming... the Amazing Race.
1: Not blaming The Amazing Race. We may have had some cracks prior to The Amazing Race, and I think it just hyper-exploded them, you know, kind of. The hard thing about Amazing Race, for everyone that doesn't know out there, is, like, I think you need to go on the show with a blood relative, any form of, like, friend or loved one. You know, I think it just it breeds conflict. And, you know, the whole time, uh, you know, I didn't really want to announce the world that I was like a complete asshole. So you kind of have to wait to have your arguments when the cameras, those rare moments the cameras aren't rolling. And then so like it just breeds this conflict amongst each other's and we weren't communicating properly. I had a lot to prove. She had a lot to prove. We weren't working well together.
0: And and your experience on Amazing Race is quite different from your experience on Survivor, which.
1: Yeah, I won Survivor. You won. And I lost. Amazing Race in a fantastic way. Yes. <laughs> Very I, early on. I believe
0: it was a double elimination, yeah. wasn't the it? The first ever. Yes. Just in so Amazing happened. Race history, happened yeah.
1: to go and I got the double elimination.
0: Oh, man. But you are a winner. And when you won Survivor, Survivor 3, I believe, right? Survivor Africa. Exactly. Um, something close to 30 million people turned up to watch the show. I mean, in, in, in those days, there were just so many people watching that show. And it suddenly launched you into stardom. You know, yeah. you, people were recognizing you on the streets. I mean, you, life changed overnight. Completely,
1: you know, and uh, very fortunate to have been on the show Survivor early on in the trajectory of reality television. And, you know, yeah, I was kind of thrust into the spotlight in a fantastic way and I, uh, I definitely enjoyed it and I wanted to use those moments uh, to my best, you know, ability and use them as a platform to do other stuff. But yeah, it was an incredible experience. I'm so grateful and, uh, for, for that opportunity.
0: Yeah, and, and your life changed dramatically just in terms of where your focus was as well, right? Prior to my time on Survivor, I lived and played
1: professional soccer in Zimbabwe. And while I was in Zimbabwe, I kind of witnessed firsthand what was happening with HIV and AIDS and how it was just like destroying this community that I, that I was now a part of. Um, however, you know, at that time in my life, I didn't really know like what I could do about this big problem of, you know, HIV and AIDS in the world. You know, everyone's dying, people know why, but no one's doing anything about it. So I didn't do anything about it. You know, I was a 27 year old kid, shelved it, put it in the back of my mind, someone else will deal with it. It's a land far away. So and then I returned home to the U S and I went on to the show, Survivor. And uh, once again, I was brought back to Africa, but this time to Kenya, and had a wonderful experience on the show where I won a reward challenge, where I got to play soccer with all these children in a little hospital yeah. in the middle of Wamba, in the middle of a cutthroat game of Survivor. Yeah. And I had this real life experience with these kids sharing this sport in a hospital. And so it just, for me, that moment was the, one of the moments that changed my life forever. And because um, I look back and after the show, I uh, used some of the money that I won from Survivor to start a nonprofit organization called Grassroots
0: Soccer. You talked about being a professional soccer player. You played for, I think, three major professional teams in your career?
1: Not major. I wouldn't call them major in the terms of major, like the English Premier League or even here in the United States, the thing called Major League Soccer. But I played did you low. get paid yes, to I play got, soccer? Yes, I got paid to play soccer, but okay. it wasn't the top level here in the United States. Okay,
0: Well you, you're being somewhat modest because anybody who gets paid to play a sport, to me as a professional, oh. you got paid? Yeah. You, you made a living? I did. I and did. You, play, you played for three teams? Correct. Um, and w- one of them was where? Here in, on the East Coast?
1: So I played for a team called the Hawaii
0: Tsunami. Oh, Hawaii, okay. The Cape
1: Cod Crusaders. And then I went uh, to Africa to play for a team called the
0: Highlanders, which was in the Zimbabwe Premier League. Okay. And, and what's that like to be a professional mm. soccer player? At that, you're saying it wasn't at the highest level, but you know, at that level, what, what, is, it, what is life like?
1: Life for me at that yeah. moment
0: was incredible.
1: You know, I was playing in the U.S. And you know, like I said, it wasn't major league, we had a couple thousand fans a game, but I, I personally wanted to feel what it's like to be that true professional. And so that opportunity for me was in Africa where, you know, we were getting 40, 50,000 people a game and here I am, I'm from the United States, I'm one of two white people on the team, two white people in the entire league and you're pulling into a stadium and they're, people are throwing rocks at you or they're cheering at you and it's just this... this passion and this love and this excitement for the game for me that was just absolutely insane.
0: Your your life kind of took a little bit of a turn though when you are in Africa just because you understood the significance or the impact of AIDS while you were playing for that team. Can you explain what happened? Sure you know
1: a lot of different experiences when I first arrived in you know Zimbabwe you know one of my strongest memories of you know we traveled these long dusty roads to get to all our away matches. We'd all smush these tiny white little vans and go these long distances. And I have these images of some of these graveyards because some of the headstones on these graveyards were perfectly organized, one right after another. But other areas, there were these crosses, you know, piled high and overflowing on the streets. So, like, I asked one of my teammates, like, you know, why are some people buried like this and other people buried like that? And he said, well, that's where they bury all the people that die of AIDS. So, for to see like a physical representation of everyone's dying of this disease was shocking to me people are dying everyone knows why no one's doing anything about it and this was the first time i saw like how like one disease was just destroying this community like i saw the pain and suffering i compassion for all these people touched by this disease but you feel so helpless in those moments like like i said what can you do like what can one person do and so so what did you do? How did it change you, just seeing that, the impact? Seeing the impact, like, my entire time there I didn't have one conversation about HIV and AIDS. You know, the, the streets were full every weekend for, you know, the funeral ceremonies, yet I still did not have these conversations. So, for me, it opened up my eyes to what was happening over there, the stigma associated with the disease, how it's being spread, uh, you know, the impact it has on the family and the community. And so, uh,
0: uh, to me, that just wasn't okay. <laughs> you, you, you said, I was able to see how one disease can strike a whole community that I was now a part of. Like, you just hadn't been living in a place before that where you could really see that impact.
1: Yeah, I agree. You know, born and raised in the United States, living in New York City. You know, I just didn't get that firsthand experience with what the, this disease was was doing to you know, people and the community and the hospitals and everything that was happening. My teammates, my teammates got sick with HIV, were ostracized from the community, kicked off to the team and ended up living the rest of their life in a horrible, lonely, isolated way. These are national sports heroes. Kids run up getting their autograph in the street. All of a sudden, maybe they have HIV or they're seen walking into a clinic and boom, like career's over, kicked off the team.
0: It's kind of, and it was just really sad to see. And then the fact that you end up on Survivor, and then you end up with this opportunity to play soccer mm-hmm. in Kenya, with the kids, what? Why do you think you kept being drawn back to Africa? What, you know, just, I, I guess some. Well, serendipity to be honest, I
1: didn't know Survivor. When you try out for Survivor, they don't tell where you're going. Right. I didn't know I was going to Africa until I got my connection flight in Amsterdam that said Kenya. I was like, Yeah, we're going to Africa. Up so, until
0: that point, you had no idea that no that's idea. Where it was gonna... I mean,
1: you get all the shots. Yeah. But those shots could be for anywhere. Could be for Thailand. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So I, then when they found out we were going to Kenya, I was like, all right, this is great. I'm like, maybe I have a leg up. <laughs>
0: and, and then when you play, kid, you play with the kids, you say, it was at that moment that I decided that if this was my way, if I could win a lot of money or whatever happens, I'd like to use that money to do some good. You know, yeah.
1: You know, I really felt, I really strongly believe that, you know, I was almost pretending to be living in Africa living off the land playing this game it just didn't make sense for me to have that the, the win the money and I was just pretending to be like African for 39 days you know or Kenyan for 39 days that just didn't make sit well for, with me so when I returned from the show I had you know a million bucks in my pocket I had 15 minutes of Fame which was up 10 years ago, Phil, just so you know. Oh, come on, people still know who you are. <laughs> uh, but thank you for bringing it back. Yeah, yeah, of <laughs> At course. At least I'll be big on your website. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I met up with some soccer buddies of mine, and uh, we created uh, an organization called Grassroots Soccer. And what Grassroots Soccer is is we're an adolescent health organization that uses the power of soccer to educate, inspire, and mobilize communities to stop the spread of HIV and AIDS and to help young adolescents make healthier choices in life.
0: And and now, how many years later are we It's still going? Going. Still
1: going. Uh, we so are 15
0: years. 15 years. I mean, this is such an inspirational thing that you're doing. And if people want to know more, if they want to be a part of it, if they also want to run with and for you. and. And help support you where do they go to find out about that
1: you can uh, check out the website grassrootssoccer.org yeah and yeah we have uh, we are currently running uh, programs in over 50 countries we've graduated 2.1 million kids from the program 100 full-time staff 1500 trained volunteers 80 million dollars raised since 2003 like this is
0: something I'm incredibly proud of and passionate about Ethan I mean but- of all the things you've done in your life you've been a pro soccer player, you've, you've gone one survivor, all the things you've done. 15 years of changing people's lives and affecting so many people's lives. Yeah, I mean. I, 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 mean, I just wanna say thanks. Well, I appreciate I, that. I wish that more people who had some recognition knew the power that they have to be able to affect change. Yeah. You know, you, there are so many generous celebrities throughout history. You think of the amount of money that Paul Newman raised with Newman's Own. If I'm not mistaken, he made more money from Newman's right. Own than he did from his acting career. Right. He was an <laughs> incredible actor. But there's some people that really go out of their way to use their recognition to do good. And I, and I just wish sometimes that more people did. You've pulled in a lot of uh, celebrities, though, right, to help you?
1: Yeah, we try, you know, definitely. I, I understand the value of, like, a spokesperson or ambassador because that's the role I feel I've filled, uh, you know, with grassroots soccer. And, you know, something that I've learned just after doing what I'm doing for so long is, like, focusing on the plate of another human being, like, helps you heal as a human being.
0: Where, where did that come from? Where did you learn to have compassion and empathy for others?
1: You know, I think it goes back to when I was a kid. When I was 14 years old, uh, cancer came into my home and it took my father away from me and my brothers and my mother. And he was 48 years old. And uh, you know, at that time in my life, all I wanted to do was curl up into a little ball and sit in my room and not come out and play. But it was my friends from soccer, it was my family, um, it was my, you know, friends from regular school, they're the ones that kind of reached out and embraced me. They're the ones that helped me in a time when I felt like I was completely alone, kind of build me back up. So that power of community and that power on leaning someone else and needing others to get through hard moments is, uh, I think, was a obviously a horrible experience at age 14, but has uh, taught me a little bit about compassion and empathy and kind of the idea of, even in your worst nightmare, even in the biggest crisis in the world, if you can help other peoples at that moment, it can help you heal as a human.
0: Cancer, you mentioned it's prevalent in your family, and then it hits you. Yeah. And, and how old are you when you find out?
1: Uh, I was 35 years old, and like you said, I had experienced a lot of pretty incredible things in my life, you know, but I felt there's something missing, Phil. So I decided <laughs> to get cancer.
0: Wow, so 35 years old, and how do you find out?
1: I was 35 years old, training for the New York City Marathon, uh, 2009, and I had some like really itchy skin, debilitatingly itchy, like from the inside out. You know when you like scratch yeah. it and it
0: satiates,
1: a yeah. mosquito bite, like no if you satiation. Like um,
0: a poison ivy or poison oak, you know, where it's just like you want to get a razor blade and scratch yeah, exactly. it Exactly.
1: So that was entire my entire body like it, it, it permeating from the inside out with no relief. So I tried every pill, and cream, and potion, lotion, known to man, it wasn't until about four months of wondering what was going on inside my body did a swollen lymph node popped out of my neck, and they found a six centimeter by 12 centimeter mass in my chest. And I was diagnosed with a rare form of Hodgkin's lymphoma called CD20
0: positive Hodgkin's lymphoma. It's one of those, you, you hear everybody say it like, oh, that's something that happens to other people, right? And then all of a sudden it's happening to you, and Where does your mind go when you first hear the news? Is it a fatalistic kind of reaction or is it screw this cancer? I'm going to fight it. Or how did you Uh, react first up?
1: Well, for me, because of my experience early on with my dad, to me, cancer equaled death. My only connection to the disease was through my father and he was dead. And uh, so I was incredibly scared, (laughs) um, confused. Uh, frustrated, and you know, I I didn't want to die, you know. Um, and there's some pretty, pretty dark days going through
0: treatment, you know. Like, but you, but you you did keep a, an interesting sense of humor about the whole thing throughout. You wrote <laughs> you wrote to your friends. You said I got some bad news the other day. <laughs> That's putting it mildly. Uh, the doctor called and she said that the results of my one month follow up visit look worse than they ever did before. And you go. You've got to use all those bits of yourself that are pissed off and frustrated and annoyed. That's the stuff that will give you the power and hope to battle through it. So you, you made up your mind, this cancer's not gonna beat me.
1: Yeah, I definitely did. I definitely took a, an athlete's mentality and I looked at this as a challenge and I wanted to use all those negative feelings that you just described to kind of turn them around and do something positive with them and uh, and that's kind of was my attitude during the time um, you know I wanted to eliminate all stress from my life I wanted to you know uh, do a combination of Western and traditional medicines and uh, you know I just looked at it as a full time job to get through this cancer.
0: It, what was what was the reaction of all your, your friends? Did people rally around you? Did you did you feel that instantly as soon as you sort of let it be known?
1: I did you know I hadn't realized how, um, selfless and compassionate people are out there. And listen, I'm in a, a unique situation where I've been in the public eye. So to kind of make your battle public, I was a little bit, I was a little bit nervous, you know, it's a really gross, ugly, disgusting time of one's life. And I didn't know what would happen if I opened up my life to complete strangers all over again, like I did in Survivor and I did an amazing race, you know? Um, but that choice to go public, um, I think it was one of the best decisions of my life and just the, the support from everyone out there was uh, overwhelming. Nothing creates confidence and comfort more than knowing you're not facing a life challenge alone and so to have the support of everyone was a blessing.
0: Just knowing that you had this family history you must in the back of your mind you're thinking yeah I'm gonna fight it but you, it's also in the back of your mind right like yeah my family went through this. and I lost family members.
1: The fear associated with cancer, you know, not only so, I, I, you know, I did the whole chemotherapy, blah, blah, blah. It failed. And then I had what they call a stem cell transplant. That's kind of where they take all, they basically press reset on your body. They take all your white blood cells, red blood cells, platelets out of your body. Yeah. And then they put new ones back in there. Um, And, you know. That was a really horrible. You're put in a bubble for 30 days, you're in complete isolation. Um, you're pretty much brought down as close to death as possible, and then they fill you back up with healthy stem cells. And, you know, that, that was a scary situation, too. And that failed. <laughs> you know, the doctors thought it was great and everything was happening. 20 months later, the cancer returned for a second time. And then you got to do it all over again. So, in the time between my first diagnosis and my second diagnosis, is when I participated in the amazing race.
0: Wow. Yeah,
1: And uh, when I got back from the Amazing Race is when I got re-diagnosed. No, I'm I mean, not saying it's your fault. No, no. So my relationship crumbled and then I got cancer again. Oh, my so God. thanks, buddy. Is, is that why we're here
0: today? Because <laughs> you're here to complain to me? Yes. <laughs>
1: my lawyer is in the room back there. So. Uh,
0: <laughs> oh, wow. What a journey. But, a, but, Ethan, the, the thing yeah. I admire about you is that when you were diagnosed, you decided, okay, this is my chance to pick up a megaphone now and to speak to young people who are going through the hell that I'm going through. So you reached out, you wanted to reach out to others. I had a moment
1: that actually helped me make the decision to go public. I was at my fourth chemotherapy treatment at Memorial Sloan Kettering, right up there. And I'm with my mom and we walk up the stairs, we turn the corner, we walk into the waiting room of Sloan Kettering. And what punched me in the stomach and what punches me in the stomach every single time is that the waiting room was full, we're like jam-packed. And we sit there like strangers, yet we're so connected by this horrible disease. And my mom and I saw this woman sitting across from us, and she had a, was having a complete meltdown because her son had just been whisked away to start and his treatment. he was
0: four years old or something, wasn't yeah. he, this
1: little boy? Yeah, little boy. I'm little older than four. four. And, so, and we are paralyzed. No one's saying anything. We're all watching what's happening. So my mom, who was always there to comfort me, she, she stood up. She walked over to this woman. She sat down. She put her arm around and she goes, That's my son over there. Oh. He's got cancer too, and it's going to be okay. And they like shared that moment and that like warmth of another human being. And it was at that moment I was like, Thought two things. One, like I'm so proud this is my mom. But two, it made me realize that reaching out and comforting others is something I needed to be doing more of. I saw it right there, the instant instant like uh change of this woman so it was at that moment so then i went public i did a blog for people.com kind of going deep into what it was like and going to all my treatments with me and um i ran marathons i wrote blogs i
0: tweeted i facebook i do interviews like this anything i could do to share my to story to get that word out you talk about all the crazy things you did in 2008 you ran some crazy distance was it 550 miles or something yeah, yeah. well what was that <laughs> I mean,
1: you know, I had to raise awareness for grassroots soccer and the wonderful work we're doing. So I dribbled a soccer ball 550 miles from Boston, Massachusetts to Washington, D.C. and to raise awareness the whole route. You know, we, we had clinics and speeches and appearances and soccer games and everything all along the route. It was pretty fun.
0: How, how have you blended these two causes in your life? You know, grassroots soccer, 15 years it's been going now and then also being a voice for cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 cancer treatment and and wanting to help other people with cancer. Yeah. How do they blend? I, I'm in a unique position because I've actually I, I feel like I've seen both sides
1: of this situation. I've I've been the I've been able to deliver uh, wonderful great news to people and help them through charity. Um, but i have also seen the other side where I've had to be the recipient of charity. So you know, so I've seen it from both sides. Um, like, I'm not HIV positive. I don't know what it's like to be HIV positive, and I hope I never have to face that. But I do know what it's like to walk into a doctor's office, sit down next to him, and get a life-threatening diagnosis with no cure. And so for me, to be able to eliminate any situation where someone has to get a, a horrible health diagnosis is kind of where I can see the intersection between the two two organizations
0: you know and i I'm, guess you, you're you're you'd be constantly constantly looking for opportunities to talk about both yeah. right like yeah. when you're in front of an audience right like, grab the opportunity
1: total yeah i mean i'm a firm believer of just being healthy right yes and uh so my my thing in the cancer world my thing in the hiv aids world is you know through education and sport we can prevent disease boom think of how cool is it that they're complete strangers like you out there riding their bike running a race hiking a mountain yeah To raise money for cancer research that helped fund a drug that saved my life, like to me, that's inspiring. And how how do I say thank you to all those people out there, other than being doing what I'm doing, is in trying to kind of share our stories. The most effective tool we have as a community, as a cancer community, is to share our stories. It lets the world know what cancer is really like. You know, it drives policy, and you know, it's it's incredible. So if anyone out there is ever wondering, like where's your money going or yeah. I don't want to ride or I don't want to train like I urge you to get involved like visualize where all that hard work goes. like yes. it's, I'm like a
0: I'm a living test tube right now like well just the fact that you've got these 50 something runners taking part in the New York City Marathon to help you with this cause with grassroots soccer the, the power that can come from a collective people who have who, who are focused on one yeah. goal it's it's something that it's hard to describe to people but that that feeling of, of, giving and being a part of something yeah and and this is why i get quite upset when i read stories about people who are struggling with something like cancer and and uh, I, the headline that i saw the other day was uh you know seventeen thousand dollars a month to battle cancer mm. you know what we we can't keep going it was essentially saying that this young woman was going to have to stop treatment yeah
1: Cancer doesn't care who you are, how much money you make, if you have suffered before. Right,
0: that's the, right. That's the whole thing.
1: Yeah. When you hear those words, you have cancer. We're all the same. <laughs> like it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know that's the way I feel about it. And uh, I mean, I think right now they say the the most uh, used health insurance in America is GoFundMe right now. You sad, right. Yeah. It's that's sad though. Right. I know. It's totally sad.
0: It's terribly sad. I mean, it, how how did you get on with? With your treatment, were you in a situation where I mean, you, gave, you gave all your, your million dollars away right. for a survivor? I mean, yeah, you got to get I back on, right? Yeah, no, but how did you get through it financially during that I time? I was
1: fortunate that I have health insurance through grassroots soccer, but there was a time where, or even now when there's, you know, what's going on in politically now in the United States where there's um, threats of, you know, removing the pre-existing condition situation, that's incredibly fearful for me to think about. There is a 50% chance that I will relapse. And so when that happens, and let's say I'm not working for a grassroots soccer anymore, I won't be able to get health insurance and I'll die.
0: It's terribly scary. Yeah. I mean, I, I, and, and you're living with that all the time. Really? So, so how the often- The fear
1: associated with cancer is debilitating. That is the, the fear of everything. Is really what weighs on you. You know, it gets easier the further you get away from cancer, but the fear of relapse, the fear of bankruptcy, the fear of, you know, maybe never having kids before, the fear of dating after cancer oh, there's so much fear. Dump trucks full
0: of uncertainty. So tell me about this stem cell treatment that you got. How how did that work?
1: Uh, So, stem cell transplants, also known as bone marrow transplants, and basically what that does is they with high-dose chemotherapy basically bring you as close to dying as possible and then they infuse you with healthy stem cells and the stem cells are the ones that are created in your bones mm-hmm. and then those are the ones that are then form all, every other st- cell in your body so their theory behind it is if I remove all your white blood cells red blood cells platelets mm-hmm. and then infuse you with healthy ones yep they'll grow into healthy cells and help you know, then you, the cancer is out so of your body. So they take them
0: them out of your body and then pull them back in.
1: Yeah. So there's two types of transplants. One's called an autologous stem cell transplant, where you use your body's own stem cells. Right. So they removed my stem cells, they cleaned them up, they put them back in. That didn't work for me. Okay. Uh, so plan B was a um, an allogeneic stem cell transplant. That's where you use a donor. And so, lucky for me, my brother Lee was the donor.
0: And uh, And how do they get them out of the bone
1: marrow, is it? So, my brother, basically, it's like giving blood. You basically sit there for about three hours. They take the blood out. They literally put it through like a weird centrifuge machine, put it back in your body, and they remove the stem cells from that. Wow. So, my brother was giving stem cells while I was up in the hospital room. And then, when they were ready, they just put them in my body. And then, uh, hopefully... It must
0: change the relationship you have with your brother. I mean, I'm not not even joking. (laughs) You're right. The idea that your brother was able to help you
1: yeah definitely i mean i'm a chiropractor now because he's yeah. a chiropractor i walk on my tippy toes you know
0: he <laughs> would <laughs> hate that all, no, of, a, but yeah, all of a sudden i have these skills that my brother has <laughs> it's incredible it's an absolutely i like incredible. scented
1: lotions it's incredible was it a success six years in remission um so that's a big
0: success yeah and, and i like what you said you said <laughs> uh happy birthday to you my beautiful stem cells <laughs> yes Thank you so much for traveling to my bone marrow, producing healthy blood cells, (laughs) and enabling my immune system to reduce the chance of cancer recurrence. You guys rock. Love (laughs) Ethan. I interviewed a friend of mine, David Downs, Mm. who was given a year to live with his cancer and then thankfully got treatment and is now recovering, or hopefully fully recovered. Yeah. he is a former comedian and he used humor to get through his battle with cancer. But I have noticed that a lot of people with cancer do tend to develop a sense of humor. And I'm guessing it's kind of like, you're just in such a dire situation that you got to try to find the funnier side of things. Like he told this hysterical story about losing all his pubic hair and he went to work and he was walking and he had boxes on that day and he left a trail of pubic hair. at work oh my God. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I yeah. can't believe I just and you should listen to this yeah, podcast yeah he's, he's hysterical he really is I got it
1: yeah and it's true it happens you don't think like when you say you lose your hair you lose all your hair nostrils ear hair pubic I thought as you know I lost all my hair and then I'm like well I'm gonna be a professional swimmer you know that that was my I'm answer I'm so fast I'm so the water fast right I was now. walking fast yeah. I was running fast I could shower in an instant.
0: Yeah, it 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 is something though where I guess at some point you just gotta laugh because what else are you gonna do? Right? You gotta, you gotta laugh say. To the point you cry or
1: bucket with an F. Yes. That's what you gotta do.
0: And and you know the reason I was so keen to talk to you is because you really epitomized to me what it means to ticket before you kick it. I mean you're one of these people that decided I'm not gonna get knocked down. I'm gonna get up. I'm gonna yeah. go stronger. I mean you you had cancer. You got up. You ran the New York Marathon, and you said, what did you say about that? Do you remember? You said, I, I'm, I'm not going to let I some hate silly... You. <laughs> you <laughs> I hate you. You mar- basically said that. <laughs> Why am I running this is probably what I said. You said, I'm <laughs> not going to let some silly cancer diagnosis take me out of the marathon. It's, cancer has nothing on me. Every step I take, I'm going to run that cancer out.
1: Yeah, I believe in that. You know, sitting in the hospital room, I overlooked First Avenue. Uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering Hospital overlooks First Avenue so I would be going to that hospital every day and when I was in isolation I was in the hospital looking over First Avenue and I said one day I'm gonna run up First Avenue and not have to go into the hospital for an appointment run right by run by just hello thank keep you on going thank you. you don't know if you want to flick them off or if you want to give them a hug but the hospital was there and uh, so that was a goal of mine you know like I said that athlete mentality and you know it's just it was a, a goal I wanted to set for myself after I was done with all of it. Who you know? are the
0: people that inspire you?
1: My wife does inspire me. I mean, we met later in life, you know, um, and I was, I don't know how old. I was, just got married two years ago. Yep. And so so uh, it was wonderful meeting her. And like this show, the title of this podcast resonates incredibly well. It just bucket list, whatever you want to call it. Like we said, we don't want to live in the city anymore and we just want to kind of grow our own tomatoes. So we moved to the middle of the woods in New Hampshire. we got a tiny little camp house and we've been refurbishing over the past two years. And now like, yeah, we live literally in the middle of the woods on a pond. We got fire heat. We got well water, we got fishing, blueberries. I was chopping wood for the past week. You know, it's the greatest. I You're can piss in my man. own yard. I can shoot a gun if I want, not that I have one. It's great. So that moment for me is like I needed to connect more with nature. I wanted to grow my own vegetables and see hey, what that was is like. This is something
0: that people talk about, you know, like, I'm so sick of this city life. I'm going to just pack it up and go to the country. And I want blueberries and I want to go fishing and shoot a gun if I want to.
1: And you did it. I did it. Yeah, we, we did it. My wife and I did. It. I don't think I could have done it without her. You know we're a lot we're together a lot in this small place so you need to you
0: need to fever? have
1: someone a little bit of cabin fever Yeah. okay yeah. <laughs> we have two adorable little cats which makes it a little bit more comfortable so Lucy and Griffin as are my saviors
0: what brought you to this to the decision to just pack it up and go to the country
1: I mean I I truly believe New York City wasn't the most healthy place for me, you know. Yeah. Um, especially after going through, you know, the treatment that I went through. And I personally felt out of touch with just myself and with nature and just I was closer to my family, closer to grassroots soccer, a change of pace, and I'd always wanted to try it. You know, we do Survivor, we do Amazing Race. I did Fear Factor. You know, I did oh, all these. Oh, you did Fear Factor. I did I didn't Fear know that. Factor. Okay. yeah, yeah. You do
0: all these crazy. You know, you get thrown in the. What l- was the toughest show, by the way, out of Survivor, Big? Uh, Su- what you never did, Big Brother. I did not do Big the Brother. Su- Survivor, Amazing Race, and Fear Factor. Oh, Amazing Race, Bill. Of course. Okay. Yeah, of well, course. Yeah, I guess you got to say <laughs> that, considering when you got eliminated. Exactly. The first ever double <laughs> elimination on the Amazing Race. Ethan, <gasps> right. I'm sorry to tell you, you've been eliminated. What? Yes. <laughs> what? You know, the one thing about Survivor
1: and Amazing Race and all these shows is I, it's a wonderful opportunity to be able to push your body, mind, spirit to the absolute limit in a pretty controlled environment and controlled by the sense that, like, you're not going to die. I was scared out of my mind a lot of the times, but but I knew I wasn't going to die. Right. So that was a good thing, right? Yeah. So for me, that that was the exciting part. like. Yeah. Let's drop you in the middle of nowhere, take away food, water, all your creature comforts, you know no Wi-Fi, ATMs, convenience stores, nothing, and just see how you do. I love that. I love yeah. that stuff. Well, that did, for me did is pretty well at survivor at survivor, at survivor. Yeah. yeah but give me another chance yeah yeah. Now, yeah i actually if i had the opportunity i don't think i would go on your show you wouldn't
0: again. i don't know i don't think so it was hard it was hard right? it was hard it's really hard it's the number one thing i hear when people land on the mat oh man i had no idea it was so hard <laughs> it's so true <laughs> it's <like laughs> it is sleep true. deprivation will do crazy things yeah to people.
1: yeah there's a lot of challenges there's a lot of travel that you don't see you don't see it the happens travel. to
0: the crew too we 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 know that if if the crew members can survive a week and they don't want to go home from just not sleeping and the hard work shooting 12 shows in 21 days is insane i can't even imagine and and we know that if people get through a week then more than likely they'll be able to it's like running a marathon yeah Yeah, that's kind of like the 18th mile because if you get through the first week chances are you'll be able to survive the full three weeks
1: and i don't know how many people understand how rigorous it is for the cameraman yeah i mean it's one of them right there
0: yeah carrying all that weight, all that yeah. weight
1: running, you know, uh, backwards, yeah. you know, they're doing it backwards. Yeah. We're doing it forwards. They're doing it backwards. So mad props to all your cameramen. Well, when you, they do you're, an you're a guy
0: job. who lo- loves to give things a go and, and, and you have, and so now you, you mentioned you're soon to be 45. Yeah. Uh, soon to be 45. what are your, your goals? What, what are the, apart from living out in the woods and growing the best blueberries in the world what 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 are the things that you've got on your your bucket list
1: oh so many phil so many yeah. um you know on my bucket list you know i'm a, a big fan of travel Yep, i really love you've traveling been to 60 countries you over said over 60 countries that's I've good travel to very lucky you know thanks to you as well uh i'd like to see more of the world yep. you know i really do uh, i want to see more of the world i love it i love it immersing myself in other people's c- cultures and just seeing what that's like and um you know, I kind of live by the motto these days by, you know, never let a crisis go to waste because it's an opportunity to do some really important things. So I think That's uh, a great quote,
0: say that again,
1: never let a crisis go to waste because it's an opportunity to do some really important things. That's an awesome quote. One of my other favorite ones is from my dad and he said, uh, to make happiness real for others is truly the greatest gift. I firmly believe it's a good strategy in life. You know, to do that. And it gets back to what we are talking earlier. You know, focusing on other people just kind of helps you heal as a human being. And I think that's important, too.
0: I love what your wife, Lisa, and you did for your honeymoon. Yeah. You, you oh. didn't have, like, some kind of ordinary honeymoon. It was... We had a charitable honeymoon.
1: What is a charitable honeymoon? <laughs> I don't know. We kind of invented it, I think. Or <laughs> we think we thought we invented it. I'd like to think I invented it. No, I didn't invent it. But, you know, I don't know. We felt like... Uh, we got so much love and adoration and uh, uh, attention during our wedding. We just kind of wanted to give back, and so instead of going and sitting on a beach, we're not beach people. Like I don't sit my ties. I'm, you know, we wanted to do a charitable honeymoon, so we went to Greece and we volunteered in a Syrian refugee camp for two weeks. And while we were there, we wanted to do a flash fundraiser, and so we raised forty-six thousand dollars in twenty-four hours, and we literally took that money and bought all sorts of gear and clothes and soccer equipment and food for these refugees and we delivered to them in the refugee camp. What an extraordinary thing to do. And we met this little girl and she's like, you got to come come into the camp. My mom's sick and there's no medic- medicine there, you know. No one brings, it's horrible conditions, an upscale concentration camp was what it was. Cinder block floors, barely any running water, horrible food. It was, It's like the worst situation I've seen in a while anyway so this little girl brings us through the back of this fence and into the back thing we're in the the refugee camp and they didn't want Americans in there because they thought we'd you know send the truth back to the United States so we're hiding in this tent the cops are running around looking for us they heard we were in there my wife's rocking in the tent she's like freaked out of her mind they're hiding our shoes under the tent finally the cops leave. we leave we get out safely it's pouring down rain and my wife looks at me she's like I could be on a fucking beach right now, but instead I married you. (laughs) And I was like, okay, maybe we'll go to Santorini sometime. I don't know. And so it's like, uh, so anyway, good bonding moment, but I need a nice romantic honeymoon. And, uh, she
0: keeps reminding me about that. Don't worry. Yeah. You better, you better do that. Yeah, I better do that. (laughs) So I ask these questions at the end of the, of the chats, you know, uh, if you were going to take a road trip yeah. across America mm. and you could take anybody in the car from any time in history anybody who's Whoa. alive or dead really? yes alright who would, who would you take? and you don't have to say your wife now because you've already thanked no, her no, she yeah. wouldn't You're yeah.
1: crazy yeah. this is a road trip yeah, this is a road uh, trip yeah. you can take whoever you I'm want whoever i take it whoever you want alright I would go with my dad yes Bob Marley
0: Wow. OK. Yeah.
1: Um, I would probably do like um, I, I want to say like an inventor, you know, Thomas Edison or Alexander Graham Bell, you Ooh. know, those type of old school inventor back in the day. That's like a secret passion of mine. I love just new products, inventions, all this stuff. That's my thing. So those three people, three people, definitely. Um, and maybe that's it. it I'm
0: sorry. Yeah, you're, uh, you're only allowed. Can three. I get one more? Uh, My lawyer's
1: here. Can you get me one more person? You could
0: put your lawyer in the boot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Those are the four people. Yeah, that would be a fun trip. What would you do with your last day on Earth? Surely that's something that you, in particular, have thought about because you've yeah. faced death yeah. literally.
1: For me, I actually did have to think about this stuff. Like, I planned out my whole funeral. Like, I definitely thought about my final days on this planet.
0: For a young man to be planning out his own funeral, that's no joke. It's, it's no joke.
1: And uh, for me, it's simple. Like, I just would want to be around my family. I want to be around my wife, my mom, my two brothers, all their kids, and just uh, be in peace at that moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I like that. The Thank simplicity you. of it. Thanks. You're an awesome dude thanks bud and uh yeah, but it's really, been an
1: honor for me yeah like i said to be here and i think it's pretty cool that you know stay connected and i'm able to share my story yeah um, let's
0: let's help each other help others yeah exactly because you know, i know this is going to help other people totally. and uh you know whatever you're doing if there's any way that i can help in some way like let people know what you're doing and share the word and thanks for my grassroots soccer t-shirt yes
1: you can wear that next November when you run the New York City Marathon for yeah, grassroots I'm, soccer I'm, right I, really I have it on tape
0: just so you know uh, tape I, tape 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 I, it's, I am thinking it. about uh, the New York Marathon I really am you heard it here first greatest marathon on earth I, I reckon you can watch this podcast online at philcogan.com and let me know what's on your bucket list you never know you might be my next guest don't forget Ticket it before you kick it.